Hello and welcome to another episode of the Philosophy Guy podcast. Brendan Weber here, your host. So in today's episode, we will dive into the relationship philosophy and death have. Uh, I'll go into a little, I have a couple notes for a little side tangent about religion's relation to death and maybe see how philosophy really can, you know, came about from our fear of death, possibly. But before that, so as always, if you'd like to support the show, check out my Patreon page for bonus content, bonus episodes, all that good stuff. Um, as always, email me, check out uh, my YouTube channel, all that good stuff, and hit up my Twitter and contact me in Discord, blah, 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 blah. So various ways to support the show. But as always, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and you know rate it on iTunes and whatnot. That helps as well. But also mainly, the best way to help the show currently, I would say still, of course, Patreon, but also just sharing with your friends and family or whoever that you think would be interested in. But anyway, let's get to the show. So what is philosophy? A question I've previously tried to answer, but today let's look at philosophy's relationship with death as I don't want to go back over what I've already discussed, which I've kind of already answered that question, what is philosophy? I think it's actually in my bonus episodes. I don't remember if it's on this main feed. But anyway, to put it simply, without philosophy, we cannot make any sense of the world. And I'm using philosophy very broadly and just kind of the way we think about the world. And maybe you could call it critical thinking, whatever. I still think that encompasses philosophy, in my opinion. But it's this foundation we build our thinking upon. It's like a rules of the game of thinking in a way. And, and they're not strict rules, I don't think. But there's still there's some some rules that are needed to kind of help us understand our perspectives more. So philosophy, I would say, is kind of this best training for how to live life or best training on how to think about life. It's the way to read the training manual of life, I guess you could say, or at least attempt to. (laughs) However, that training manual has a lot of room for interpretation. The combination of our thoughts, convictions, and values have created models to help us understand the universe. These models we go by, these loops we go by. To understand these models, we must use philosophy, reason, and, and logic, and critical thinking, all that, all that good stuff. Our knowledge, our knowledge to base it off of that. But what does philosophy have to do with death? So the reason I find this kind of relationship interesting, the Stoics went as far as to reduce, reducing all philosophical questions to one issue, the fear of death, in that we start thinking about this stuff because we've, we, maybe something was triggered that we were able to understand our coming death. Our brains, our minds are able to comprehend our finite existence. By philosophizing, you are teaching yourself how to die. Through philosophy, we have been able to use thinkers of the past to provide us valuable insights into understanding the present. Now, what makes this relationship with death and philosophy so unique to humans? Like, why is it just humans, right? This might be kind of obvious, I guess you could say, but we have this strange capacity, unlike other animals, of the finite nature of our existence. We can contemplate our existence and make these grand narratives, these these myths about the meaning of our lives that we should follow or certain people should follow or that we also follow, some say. And it's kind of for us to decide who's got that best idea of how to live life, right? So we are the only being that we know of that can contemplate our coming death. We know about We know about it. We think about it. 
some of us more than others, for better or worse, but groups of people have formulated these grand myths to save them from this question of death. They're relying on faith to overcome their inevitable end of existence. As long as you remain a true believer, staying true to your faith, God will save you from the death, they say. You can, you can live in eternal bliss, eternal existence. And I'm sure we'll discuss that in a different episode, but the idea, this is a little side tangent, I guess, but the idea of eternal existence scares me. Like, sure, I fear only living, let's say, what is the average lifespan? Uh, it's 80 years old, I think, in the U.S., right? That scares me a little bit because I don't think 80 years is enough. But sure, I'm young now, so maybe my perspective will change, but for sure, I would like it to be a little bit longer. But eternity, our brains cannot even comprehend this idea of eternity. It freaks, it, it should freak you out. Like we can't even comprehend the idea of the universe being billions of years old. We can't even comprehend that. We're just such a small window of time in the grand scheme of existence. So this idea of living for eternity is something crazy, right? But anyway, <laughs> so basically, as long as you're a true believer, staying true to your faith, God will save you from death, they say. But a caveat is in order. See, if you want to be saved, you must have faith in their God. You must not give into your reason, as this is to, to give in to the devil in the form of the serpent. And I'm, I'm obviously picking a particular religion here. I'll let you d- determine that one. But, a, but uh, by doubting the word of God, you are being tempted by the enchantment of the forbidden fruit. Those with the fear of God tell us not to give in to those Tempting ideas formulating in our minds. But why? See, when you give into your reason, eating the forbidden fruit, you deny your faith in God. Thus, you will always remain mortal. Now you will have some members of faith claim that they they can rely on their reason to come to God. Maybe. You know, I'm, I'm not going to just whimsically say, no way without giving my reasons. But it used to be the case that faith was enough. And science was not trusted as it is today. I mean, thousands of years ago, if you if you healed someone through scientific discovery or the scientific method and the advancements of medicine, you were just being called a, a witch and being burned at the stake. Today, this is not the case. You know, scientific method and, and medicine are, are applauded. Now, maybe I'll go on a little side tangent here. So here, here it goes. I have decided to do that as I do this episode. But you have a rise now in what what they call Christian apologetics that try to warp philosophy into fitting their preferred faith of choice. So the reason I bring this up is, is religion in some way is a reaction to our mortality. And philosophy comes in and kind of says, well, you know, wait a minute. Let me step back and think about this. We don't seem to have evidence for this whole afterlife thing or your preferred faith system. And I know I'm picking on Christians here a bit, but you know, we're in the US, so it's kind of the easy target, I guess you could say. So we also start getting these these responses about morality when it comes to our worldview for those of the faith. As it's this frontier that they believe they have a fighting chance in. And it's also this morality which we'll get into in its relation to death here. But we get to arguments such as, you know, premise one. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. And then premise two, 
objective moral values and duties do exist. Three, therefore God exists. Now, I don't want to go on like a boring, uh, I guess, tangent. I keep saying tangent, but tangent on why and the problems with this argument. I mean, my problems with it is I don't accept premise one, two, or three, but we'll get into that a little bit. But basically, my main point is here is a little bit of a broader claim. Now, I have many, many problems with this. We don't we won't go deep into it today, but I want to use this as an example of how religion has tried to insert itself into the meaning of life. And if you insert yourself into the meaning of life, you're inserting yourself on a perspective about death, which is kind of our main our main course of action today. So death and the ethical code of how to act before our inevitable death. See, my current understanding of life is even if God exists or even if objective moral values do exist, we cannot know for certain of them as humans. So thus, the discussion we have as humans around morality is based on the subjective moral values we determine that we should follow. So I think people get caught up in this, in the definition of objective. The way I see subjective is it's, it's a value that's inherent in the universe. So as in it's part of it. So I cannot say that stabbing someone uh, is, is being wrong is part of the universe, right? It's not something that exists within the universe, this is kind of my definition of objective, and it's kind of widely held. But as a society, I obviously believe that we should agree that stabbing an innocent person is wrong. Why? Because I think human suffering is a real thing, and we should find ways to prevent human suffering. So then, I sometimes get this response, so you are, so you are saying, you know, stabbing someone isn't wrong. You know, not exactly. No, I'm saying... It is wrong, but the fucking universe doesn't think it's wrong. That's my point. Like, I personally can think it's wrong, but it doesn't mean that it exists in the universe that it's wrong, right? The universe does not care who dies and who lives, right? That's my perspective here. Part of my point around this is I see people's desire for having some intrinsic meaning in the universe. They want it to, they want to will it to be so. And it's just not presenting itself in the argumentation. So the way to be certain about what they are doing has purpose. That's why they want this. They want this intrinsic this intrinsic meaning in the universe so that they have purpose within that universe. So when it comes to morality, they want, they want a code they can be sure of so they know for certain how to act. And maybe part of it is coming from, in this case, Christians, fear of the afterlife. But man, People who doubt the existence of various religions, gods, think anyone who doubts God, not even those who say with certainty, but if you doubt God, they love, Christians, for example, love to call you fools. Just to doubt it. You're not not even saying with certainty, because, you know, I've come to the point where I don't know if I can be certain of anything, right? Why should I be certain of that? Where is the evidence for being certain, certain of it? Anyway, interactions like these have made me more and more convinced of this kind of postmodern worldview. I know that's a dangerous word. Feel free to email me <laughs> with your disagreements and I'll find various questions to answer. Around that understanding, I do think postmodernism is very misunderstood and it's not as scary of a, of a worldview as you might think. But basically what I'm trying to say is people try so hard to make everything black and white. 
you know, these absolutes. They want to create something that is absolute for their versions of reality. They want to create a black and white version of their own reality, something that they know how to operate in. See, it gets tiring because this, this creates useless conflict in my eyes. I've also become convinced that philosophy has become this rhetorical word games mainly, or largely, not, not altogether, but you see it a lot more than I would like to see. And maybe it's just something I'm seeing more of and I'll grow out of it as I learn more. But where a lot of misunderstandings, I feel like, boil down to disagreements on definitions of words, such as objective and objective meaning and objective values and objective morality. People get caught up in that word objective. And if you don't believe in objective morality, you think that murder isn't wrong. That's not what objective means. And there's, there's no connection between objective and God. That's the other confusion. If you look up the de- definition of objective, you will not find the word God in that definition. That's the other interesting part. So it's like they're creating their own definition of objective, kind of like those premises I gave before. They're creating their own definition of objective by inserting God into that equation as though it's inherent in the definition of objective. But let me tell you, definitions and words were created by man or humans. Where, how do you get certainty out of that? But anyway, so is philosophy still an alternative? If we allow ourselves to give in to the world of philosophy, we can learn how to die. Philosophy boils down to understanding of our finite existence, as I said, motivating us to contemplate how we should spend our time in this finite existence and what is the meaning of all of this. Primarily, our understanding of our inevitable death in the grand scheme of the universe has led us towards philosophy. Our understanding that we will die and those we love around us will die too. Death is the actualization of time past. Edgar Allan Poe discusses in The Raven, where a raven is perched on a window repeating, Nevermore, nevermore, over and over and over again. But what does it mean? It's the understanding that you cannot change the past and your future is quickly fading into black. When nevermore comes for us, all that remains of you is time past and only in the realities of the loved ones left behind. So with this understanding, maybe we can begin the journey into finding profound perspectives on life that are truly gripping and profound, but maybe they're not objective.